and worship to you would be the rhythm of our lives. So I pray, Lord, as we share together as a body this morning, as songs that have been written here, that, Father, you would move in us and make us a worshiping, singing community that loves you and loves each other and loves the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the psalm here. Psalm 150, last psalm of the Psalter. I want you to notice the command. It's really 13 times you'll see the same command. It starts by saying, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty, in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with sing, strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now today, as we finish the series, uh, remember the Psalms is the center of the Bible. It's a hymn book, and uh, it's obviously the most popular book of the Bible. And of the 150 Psalms that they selected, 73 were written by King David. That's why we love King David. Now, they cover about a 1,000 years of history. Now, I forgot to bring a hymn book, a modern hymnal that some of you have been to churches where they've got a hymn book every week, which we don't. We do overheads, but it counts anyway. But, you know, a lot of churches, you go in there, they've got a hymn book in there, and it's got hymns from all different times of history. And the Psalms is a hymn book written over a 1,000 years. From You've you got psalm, a psalm written by Moses, Psalm 90, and psalms written after the exile and all this period of history and all kinds of events. And... And uh, these 150 were chosen. There were many, many more. There probably were thousands and thousands. But they picked these 150 because they reflected parts of everybody's life of walking with God, all types of things. And, and uh, these were to be sung. These were songs. And, and you'll notice a lot of emphasis on instruments all through it. So worship team guys, I mean, bless you, because uh, this was meant to be sung with instruments, with a, with a number of instruments, kind of like we've got here on a Sunday morning. And uh, these were really not to be read silently. I mean, I, I know we do it in our times alone with God. They were meant to be spoken out loud to God, and again, especially sung. So uh, any person who calls himself a Christian is called to be part of some community of believers. And that community of believers, what's central to, to any body, any church, is this essence of called worship and singing. So when you became a Christian, you were, you were called to be part of a body of people somewhere. We're one, a local church, a community. And the center of that community is God's intention would be worship and singing to God. And uh, we're meant to sing our faith. And we come together on a, on a weekly basis. There's a sense of expectation. We're to come with expectation. I don't know how many came with expectation. Today we're a little bit tired, you know. But expectation that we're going to meet the living God who's done great things, uh, even though I may not be in him right now, who is, who is alive and an expectation that this God's alive and he's going to be doing a lot of new things too. And so when we come together, there's a sense that we come to meet with an expectation, this alive God together. And a sense of, wow, what's going to happen? What's he going to do in this next phase of life uh, even today? So uh, I want to invite you to in, join with us this morning to meet the living God. And we're going to hear some different psalms. Now the Bible talks a lot about sing a new song to the Lord. Did you ever see, read that? All right, it's actually commanded, commanded to us four times. Sing a new song to the Lord. That is, we're walking through life. 
there's kind of new poems and songs that emerge out of our lives together. And so uh, we've asked people over the last couple of months to write psalms, and a lot of you have written psalms and songs to God. And this morning, uh, we're going to take a little bit of time right now and take a little pause in the message, and you're going to hear some of these songs, some of these new songs to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to reflect on your own experience as you hear them, because I, I think you'll be as encouraged as we were. Uh, some of them are just so beautiful. And it's out of the experience of their lives with God. But really, again, as songs come out, it's all of our experiences as we walk through it. So, Jerry, want to—did I say it? Okay, good. Um, so, you're going to hear some different types of psalms. And I think we have them, Melissa, on the overhead, right? So, all right, so whoever's first, come. Oh, my great God, lover of my soul, I am so filled up. My cup is running over all through the streets of Colorado. I walked, I ran, I jumped, I skipped. I waved my arms and sang. With the sun on my face, the mountains in my sight, the wind surrounding me like your sweet presence, your spirit's embrace, wild and rough, gentle and tender, all-encompassing, filling me, but emptying me as well. You are the air I breathe. Your love has captured me. Truly, being in your house is better than anything else my soul longs for. I will follow hard after you. To find you is exhilarating. To keep finding you is deep joy. Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. Hallelujah, I love you. Be glorified. Thank you, Abba Father, that you have always been near, though I didn't always perceive you. You lead in front of me, you guard behind me, you are on my either side. You know, each day of my life, you have forgotten nothing except my confessed sin. You know the beginning of my story and its end. It's all in your book. Its details are not too unimportant to you. You walked by my side when dressed in the coat my mother made me. She held my hand. You greeted me with great joy when I came to your altar to receive your presence. You held my hand on my wedding day and smiled, my true father. When I dance, it is with you. When I spin, you are the center. When I leap, it's because you give me the joy. I am waiting for the day that I can live in your house. I know that no house on this earth, no matter how splendid, can fill my heart the way yours can. Even now, you call me to enter that house, your house, in spirit. is called God help me with me. Oh Lord, when you first went to the depths to find me, you swept me off my feet. You set me free. I sang and praised and thought, oh yes, Lord, all of your statutes I'd keep. You spoke your word, I'd soak in it, and in your rest I'd sleep. But as the days wore on, I became wise in my own eyes. My voice became loud and yours got weak. God, help me with me. You blessed me in so many ways. You lightened my darkest, stormiest days. 
How could I forget to praise? God help me with me. You've walked me through the valleys, deserts, and storms, many of those created by me. Yet you climb with me to the peaks. Lord, you protect me from my enemies. But what to do when that enemy is me? God help me with me. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I only long to seek your face. And I thank you for the place that you've prepared for me. But most of all, Lord, help me with me. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for having faith in me. For in return, I ask that you keep your hand on me so that I may, that I may continue to have faith in you. You are so awesome, God. Your mercy and beauty are truly indescribable. I stand before you, naked, dirty, ashamed, and broken. You are the only one who can make me whole. Cleanse me, Lord, of this filth called guilt. Guide me in the ways you see fit. Lord, continue to open my eyes, ears, and especially my heart to receive your love that is so divine. I so thirst for your love and mercy. Stay with me, Lord, and in return, I will stay by your side and rejoice and glorify your name for all to hear. I will ponder the Lord all my days, not little thoughts, but deep ponderings of the heart. You awake me in the night watches. I will not ignore your call, but I will feast my soul on your goodness. I have hidden from solitude, have actually fled from it, thinking that my busyness was pleasing to you. I repent from ignoring my soul. I have tasted the joy of quiet rest. I will not return to the way of empty activity. I have been overconfident in my abilities and myself. I have not been desperate enough for you. Now I see my foolish heart. I am so weak and small. Strength only comes in secret with you. Keep me from yielding to voices, my job, people in need, life, that would keep me from time with you. You are my all in all and nothing else. I choose to live in such a way that this is evident without words. So be it. Now, you remember, some of the Psalms are laments. And in fact, almost depends on which scholar you read, between 30% and 70% of the Psalms are laments or complaints or groanings to God. So we received a lot of Psalms. We did receive a lot of laments, which really is what uh, the Psalms is mostly made up of. So we've got a few of these as well. Uh, because if anything, the Bible's about keeping it real and keeping it honest. So whoever's our first lamenter, come. What a patient Lord we have. It has been 2,000 years since anyone has written a psalm attesting to your goodness. To a mere human, several generations have lived and died. But to you, it has been just one brief moment. The Lord's Prayer clearly identifies you as the Father of all. Thank you for the wonderful parent you are. Your thoughts of me are as many as the sands of all the deserts combined. Yet in your hand I am indistinguishable on the grain called the earth. 
I have the benefit of reading about Lot and Job. One was saved and one was sacrificed. At times, I cannot bear the strength of your hand upon me, and at others, I wish I could feel it. Please do not be wrathful. You said you should, we should seek and knock. I need to understand why two towers crashed to the ground. Was it the jealous heart of Cain again, or the bitterness of Haman? Why can't brothers roll up their sleeves and work for the good of many? Lord, you gave us ears to hear and eyes to see. You created us in your image with love and compassion in our hearts. Will you convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or will you just have to scream as loud as our earthly parents? Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Praise be to the Lord, for he is full of love and compassion. From the depth of my pain, I have cried out to you. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Will my tears continue to roll as silent rocks unanswered? Will the anguish and heaviness of my heart crush me from within? In silence, I have waited. In silence, I have heard the voice. The voice of the one who comes to restore my soul. The voice of the one who gives me hope. In silence, I have waited. In silence, I have hope. Hope from the one who holds me close. Hope from the one who suffered and rose. Rose from the pit of despair to a place of understanding, to a place where others can have hope. For he is full of love and compassion. Praise be to the Lord. Amen. How the enemies who show kindness betray us. I fed my enemies and helped them in trouble. They are happy when I am hurt. I am having difficulty with this reality. Why this harsh carelessness? But I stopped and thought of my own harshness. I took notice of how carelessly I respond to your kindness. Pause and think about that. I set my heart in the chair of repentance. I eat the bread of humility. I soak it with my tears. I remember how you loved me in truth and not in word alone. To love you and those who hurt me, to love them as you love me is all you ask in return for your forgiveness. I am encouraged because you never ask for the impossible. You have given me the key of forgiveness. I can open the door of my heart. I can feed my enemy the bread of forgiveness that is soaked in my own tears. I learn to love the one who betrays me. I learn to forgive myself when I betray you. I learn to be like you. I understand another reason why you are so great. I see that your love is power. I can walk in the authority and freedom of forgiveness. Thank you very much. We, yeah, let's give him a hand. I enjoy it. Uh, we actually had, of course, many others, and there'll be another set of people going to read their second service, different than these. But uh, as we were reading them, we were so struck by the, really, the depth and the, and the breadth of the spirituality that's going on in our midst of, 
you know, your walk with God. And it was really, it was very, very beautiful to be receiving them. Uh, we definitely, uh, there were so many flying around, we, we lost a few, so sorry, you know. But uh, it's, uh, someone wants to put them in some kind of a book, it really would be wonderful. All right, let's go to Psalm 150 again. And I, I want to kind of summarize the, the whole series here for us. And um, with uh, the, the, the first point, I want you to put the overhead up and uh, at least the, that, um, and I want to make, just make two brief points about the text, and I want us to go to communion. Uh, and in fact, let me say this for Fatima's sake. Again, the, the whole series, I believe, is available uh, now after today uh, in the back if you want to pick it up. And it's just a great theology to have in our lives to go back over and over, over, and over again about the centrality of worship. And so you may want to pick that up, all right? But the first is this, we're to go against the world's current and declare that all was created for God's glory. That part of what we're about is we are to be a people that go against the current. The current, think of, a, think of a, uh, an ocean current coming against you. And that ocean current is not about God. And I, I mentioned often, God's on the margins. God's irrelevant to, to the world we live in. And that we're, we're, people of God are to be in the middle of it all. We stand up and we go against that current and we declare that everything that exists was made for the glory of God. And we come together to declare it. Now, we want to be worshipers as a lifestyle. And we come together to actually worship corporately, kind of weekly basis or in our small groups and communities. But, but we purposefully, willfully, you'll notice a lot of times in Psalm it says, I will worship the Lord. I will declare his praises. I will make a vow to the Lord. And it's very much a decision, not just an emotion, of a lifestyle saying, I'm going to go against the world's current and declare that God made it all for his own glory. Now, I quoted a verse there from Colossians 1.16 uh, when speaking about Jesus being, made, being God in the flesh. And it says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. All things were created by him and for him. And I, and I, I, I hope you can just take a moment and just reflect on that, all things being made by him and for him. Now, the world goes around as if God doesn't exist. You know, we're basically nobody for the most part, and nothing is given over to say, oh, this is for praise to God. It's just not happening around us. And, and uh, we live in a huge tension because people are not living for God's glory or looking to give him praise around us. And uh, just to encourage you, it wasn't any different in David's time. In David's time, they had their idols that they were surrounded by, the Canaanites and the Baal worshipers and, and the Molech worshipers and all the other nations around them. And, and, uh, but David, too, made a decision, again, with the Psalter and, and the centrality of worship, saying, we're going to go against the world's current that, and declare that everything was made by God and for God. And... Um, our idolatry is that we're surrounded by, we don't have people worshiping in a pagan temple. Oh, we do have a few of that up the streets. I guess that's true. We have literal pagan temples in Elmhurst. But uh, the idols that surround us, people are, 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 are worshiping and running after. Their love is not for God. It's for things like comfort and things like money and security and control and being approved by people and moving up the ladder and other things that call for people's love and loyalty. And I feel the, the pull, don't you, all the time. To, to live for that and, and go that direction and, and to love, ex love yourself exclusively. And, and that's where the world's going. And so, you know, I, I think about music, and we, we're buying some music for our kids, you know, and, and the media is not living for the glory of God. 
talked about sex and pleasure and all of that. And you think of the school system, some of your teachers here, and, and whether it's elementary or junior high or high schools, I mean, people are thinking about, oh, let's give glory to God and worship to him through our educational institutions. Uh, same thing with the political institutions. I mean, you think of, you know, some of you work for sanitation or fire department or police department or city government, you know, and people are thinking, oh, yeah, it's for the glory of God. I mean, to say, no, no, all of this, even the government and sanitation and police and the unions, Carpenters Union and Local 103, ultimately God made them all for his glory. But the reality is people aren't living for God's glory, aren't thinking about being made by him and for him. And so we are called to go against that current and say, wait a second, everything was made for the glory of God. Some of you are in different fields like social work or medicine or law or um, engineering or technology or computers. You think about going to work tomorrow and God made that place of work for his glory. All things are made by him and for him. And yet, most 98, 99% of people just aren't even thinking about God. God, oh! And in the midst of all of that, we are called to go against the current and declare, wait a second, we worship God, the true and living God for whom all these things were made by him. Look out the windows of apartment buildings. and All these things that are God's material that are used to make buildings, they were, used, they were made for God. All the land, all the buildings, all the people, all the institutions, ultimately were made for the glory of God. And we declare that. And I think of, think of your recreation, think of your summer vacation. Some of you were away this past week in different places. And parenting and singleness and relationships, all things were made by him and for him and for his glory. So here's what the psalmist says, for Psalm 150, summing it all up, praise the Lord, verse 1, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. Now praise him in his sanctuary is referring to actually the temple, and as praise him, he's saying we praise him here, but he says now praise him also in the heavens, all the angels above. Give praise to God, and we want to join in with that here on earth. Praise him in the sanctuary, and again there are commands, and, and there's two reasons given. Verse 2, for his acts of power, for God moves in power, he's working through history, even when his purposes and power is hidden, God's power is acting. He goes, praise him for his acts of power. And then secondly, praising for his surpassing greatness. That's why it's so important. We come together and we just we declare he's so great. And the nations are as a grasshopper. The earth is, it's, it's, a, it's a little, little speck in this massive universe. And the presidents, the most powerful people on the earth are like, are like grasshoppers and dust. And, and so we praise him for his surpassing greatness when we get perspective. And then in verses 3 to 5, he says, now take all the instruments. And I, I want to, I'm just told that half the instrumentalists are having coffee right now. They come to second service, but bless them. But for those of you who are musicians here, I mean, they, you're so exalted in the role of music. And it, it all, you know, the instruments are given here of, you know, wind and string and percussion and basically summing up everything and praising with the trumpet and harp and lyre and tambourine and dancing is in there too. Uh, string and lyre and that all these instruments are, are, are music is given to us by God to help us. Now when I'm home alone, I can throw in a CD, which is nice. And, uh, uh, but reality is I, I don't have the instruments, you know, and I don't have it all together. But this as a corporate body, God understood that music, we were made for music, and there's a place for skilled musicians to, 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 to move us. You ever come here just depressed? Not today, of course. Or your heart is cold, and not just physically cold, and you just get here and worship, and they, it's, like, it's like you're being carried. And it's like, and you're just like, ah. Oh. And then when worship ends, you're like, did it have to stop? 
because God wired us, as I've said before, for music. And bless you who are gifted with instruments because you have such a unique place to play in our spiritual formation and development in God to move us not just intellectually but emotionally and spiritually to God. And I, you know, David organized 4,000 musicians. Could you imagine? 4,000 and 288 singers. I didn't count them. Somebody else did in Chronicles that they would worship before God in shifts 24 hours a day. Wouldn't it be nice? You come any time of day, and we got a couple thousand musicians here playing, and a couple hundred folks in the choir. I don't know what they're doing about work, but uh, and we just walk in just to again get centered on God. But again, the 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 uh, the critical issue was our lives are going to go against the current. We're going to declare that all was created for God's glory. Now to appreciate this, you have to understand that the Jewish people have always been a Sabbath people to the death, and how they did was with they, they from Genesis. All through Scripture, they understood that there were six days you worked, and one day was to come together to worship and declare His glory as a whole people. Again, it's not just my personal life, which I trust you do. And I, I really want to encourage you to be preparing when you come to church on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, if, you, if you're up till 3 o'clock in the morning watching a horror flick, it is very difficult to get up here and declare His glory. And so it is, it is yeah, we... we, we in, in the scriptures, it says God worked se six and rested at seven. The understanding in scripture is the opposite of the way the world puts it. The understanding in scripture is that the center of your week is this day when you declare his glory. And you rest from all of your works. And you get, and this day is necessary for you to get unattached and detached from all the idols of our culture. Which cling to you during the week and try to suck you down and say, love me. Love yourself. Forget God. He's not helping you. And those voices that scream at you, God said, no, I, I created a rhythm in life. And that rhythm is you were built, you were wired, no matter what's going on in your life, to worship corporately me and get centered and declare my glory against the current of the world going on around you. And I love what with, with, uh, this one scholar said about the Jews, he said this, more than the Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept the Jews. It's very interesting. More than the Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept the Jews. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, our culture, I mean, Sundays has just been wiped out. And many of us, some of you are forced to work on Sunday. You don't have, you don't have a choice. And, um, uh, and, and so it is, again, it's part of our, we go against the world's current and we declare that all was created for the glory of God. And part of that is that discipline and a life of internalizing inside of you that corporate worship on a weekly basis over the years, which builds in some deep spiritual formation things inside of you unlike anything else. So it can sometimes feel like you're wasting your time in worship when you don't feel anything. And I want to encourage you, God built you for it. And he built you for it with other people. So those of you who dance before God, bless you. We need you who are gifted in dance. And you musicians and singers and choir, may God anoint you and give you grace to, to lead us and serve us so we can serve the living God. All right, number two, go on. So we want to go against the current. And the second thing is, the second principle here is, 
is that we're to be real about our present experiences and bring them to God in worship. That's a theme of the psalm. So the first theme, again, I'm summing up, I, I believe, the whole book here. One is we're going to go against the, the current of the world and be worshipers of God, and that is going against the current. But the second is, I hope you got this from the series, that we are to be real, honest about our present experience, experiences, and we bring those to God in worship. That's the key thing. Now, you've got to catch it. We're to be real. Some of us are very good at being real, but we're not very good about bringing it to God in worship. Some of us are good at bringing stuff to God. We go to God in worship, but we're not very real. And the thing is, you need both. And uh, praise, again, the theme of the psalms, no matter what's happening to you. Remember all the types of psalms? I listed at one, psalms of trust and psalms of repentance and psalms of laments. And that, that psalms of thanksgiving. That, again, if things are going well for you and you're, God answers in prayer, he brought you up out of the pit, Yes, you are to praise him for that in that like circumstance, not just, oh, yeah, that was good, I'm moving on here. Whether you're in lamenting or grieving, you bring praise to God. Whether you're doubting, you give praise to God. Whether you're learning wisdom lessons, you sing it to God. But even in complaints and grieving and struggling and doubting and rejoicing, that there is praise. And it's, it's the way I organize my life, again, is I bring all of my experience to God and I wrestle in bringing it to worship. Now, go, remember that threefold thing of orientation? Do we have it there? Can you push a button? Alyssa? Good. Next one. That's it. Great. Remember that, that, that Psalms can be broken up into three phases. Orientation, that, you know, there's times in our lives everything's going great. Blessing and life and joy and everything's fit. How many of you are, are in orientation right now? Oh, my goodness. Ken, good, good. Well, hopefully the cockroaches are in orientation. All right. Okay. Wow. This is a disoriented group. Well... Okay. All right, let's go to the next one, then. We'll skip the first. Maybe in your mother's womb you were oriented. But then there's disorientations. And the Psalms, again, are very real and honest. And, and there's things in the lives that come that are hurts and losses and sufferings and deaths and dislocations. And we're wondering what's going on. And, and uh, how many of us are in disorientation? I'm scared to ask. I was hoping you'd be too tired to raise your hand. Uh, and we are to run to him when we're disoriented. That's the beautiful thing about the Psalms. That's why, how many of us, when, you're, when we're struggling and depressed, we read the Psalms. We love the Psalms. And uh, it's one of the most important things we do is that rhythm of going to God. And uh, again, we got, can you imagine, and I was thinking about this one scholar who says 70% of the Psalms are laments. And it was Ken who said to me, ah, oh, Pete, you know, move on. With, I did like three laments, I think. We did three lament psalms here in, in the series. And he goes, Pete, you've got to move on. I'm getting depressed, you know. And uh, I, I appreciated it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've been thinking, I'm in my own disorientation. You know, the whole building thing was a bit disorienting to me. I'm not sure all that God's doing. But I do know there's, there's a third phase. I know this is going to come, and it's going to be a reorientation. And there's some new, th God wants to break in and do something new. I know that. It's true. I don't feel it right now. I'm not, I don't know what it is. But it's true because God's always breaking in when we're disoriented to do something new. And as I said earlier, he cannot bring you the new in your life until he gets rid of the old. It's like if you're single, if you're dating Joe Schmo, until we get rid of Joe Schmo, we can't get Joe Schmo. <laughs> so, and it works like that in all of life. God has to take something away. Before, but when he takes it away in the loss, it's, it's devastating. And we all know what it's like in different levels of our life. And, but 
the, 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 the Psalms, and I pray you won't ever forget this the rest of your life, no matter where you go, leaving New York, go to the church, that you be a deeply honest person about life. That the psalmists are deeply honest. There's only one psalm that when he's lamenting and complaining and grieving, that he never gets up from and there's no, there's no like praise to God. It's Psalm 88. It's, it's the most depressing psalm of the Psalter. He's devastated and for some reason he finishes the psalm and he never quite gets up out of the pit of despair. And, uh, but the rest of the 149, he does struggle and get up a little bit, you know. Um, but again, God's intent is to move you to a new orientation. But in that process of disorientation, you so desperately need to worship and praise him for his goodness. Remember the central word of the Psalms? How many know what it is now? What's the central word of the Psalms? Hesed. Put it up. The word hesed, his love, his loyal love. Remember? That's the key word in the Psalm. His love endures forever. Now, when you're disoriented, it doesn't feel like the love of God is there. It's one of the big struggles theologically of Psalms is, where is God's loyal love? If he's all-powerful and he's all-loving, well, why doesn't he act and get me out of this mess now? It's one of the great themes of the Psalms. And remember, that word hesed, or loyal love, is no really good way to translate. It comes from the word from you storks, used to use it. I was just meditating on this the other day again. Storks, when they would lay an egg, uh, they would put it in the highest perch they can find. And the, the male or female would so protect that egg that when one would go for food, the other one would have their wings over that egg, but would never let that egg out of their sight until it hatched. And that's the word the Hebrews had for the hesed love of that stork. And that's what they used to describe the loyal love of God. It's emotional towards you, but it's infinitely loyal. But then there's other animals like the ostrich that lays an egg and then brings, you know, it's got 10 eggs there in the nest, and brings another 30 in from other people, and then it can't fit them all, and gets tired, and throws some out, and is not loyally loving to her eggs. And the Hebrew is meant to contrast that. God is not going to throw you out of the nest because you've got too many people here. He's going to be lovingly loyal to you, and so constantly saying, God, your love endures forever. And would sing that back to Almighty God over and over again. It's the crucial word in the psalm. So, again, sometimes it appears that the odds are against God being lovingly loyal. And in the psalms, they sing and worship and struggle with that. So, this is serious communion and serious obedience and serious walking with God, not superficial. So, if you're always in high praise and thanksgiving, uh, it's not healthy. Once in a while, to sing to God or say to God, life doesn't feel right right now, God, at all, is a very healthy biblical thing to do. Okay, so going back here. Let's, okay, so there it is. These are two summary here of, of the psalmist. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I hope when you read that text, Psalm 150 is right through. It just kind of lifts you. Let everything that has breath was created by God and for God. And that we shall, in the midst of our city of New York, Lift up praises to Almighty God, no matter what goes on in our lives, and go against the current and say, all this was made by God and for God. No matter what experiences you're going through in life, and I'm going through, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, whatever it is, we're going to be real about them. I'm wrestling right now, I'm struggling, but I'm going to bring it to God, and I'm going to worship. And trust Him to break in with something new in His timing. Amen?
All right, I'd like to culminate and have a celebrate communion. And um, with that, um, could we do this? Could the, could, let's, let's do this. Um, central to worship in the New Testament was the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or communion, however you want to call it. And I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And there's a little description of four words. Go to the next thing. We're going to wait for Melis for next service, okay? All right. Go to the first verb, take. Press, okay. Good. And uh, four, you'll notice every time Jesus has food and a meal with people, uh, there's four verbs that are used to describe the event. And I want to take these four verbs, and I want to invite you to use them here in worship. Uh, the first is he took the bread. Now, I'm going I'm to use, I'm not going to have time to explain the four passages, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the uh, evening of the Last Supper, Holy Thursday, and then the, um, the road to Emmaus. The same words are used when Jesus is around the meal. Now, what we're going we're gonna to have a meal here of communion. Jesus is the host. It's his meal. We are the guests at the meal. And anybody can be a guest who wants to come. But these four verbs, actually been a great theological book written about this because it gives the shape of how life is expected to be lived after the resurrection. And here's the first way. Jesus takes the bread. So as we come to communion, you are going to come and you're going you're gonna to bring what you've got. You're going you're gonna to bring something to Jesus. Now, what are you going to bring? You're going to bring whatever, wherever you are right now. You're going to bring your, your sins, your strengths, your weaknesses, your ups, your downs, your thirst, your misery. The biggest thing you do, you're going to come to the table and you're going to bring yourself. And when you bring yourself, Jesus is going to take you as the host. He takes the bread. Now, you're the bread. You're going to come to Jesus with your life. Here I am. And Jesus takes us. Got that? So if you're here today, and again, in your relationship with God, you're not sure where you are spiritually. You know, you're not sure you're even Christian. Say, Lord, I surrender to you. I give you my life. Give yourself to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness, the free grace of God. Become a Christian. But what are just going to come and give yourself to the Lord. He takes the bread, and what's the next thing he does? He blesses it, and he gives God thanks. So he takes whatever you bring, five loaves and two fishes, you just got a little bit. Could you imagine? Jesus says, that's all you got? That's it? Your misery today? Your life? You? Five loaves, two fishes, that's it? No, we, he takes what we give him, and he blesses it. And he brings it to the Father and says, Father, I thank you that John's here this morning. And I thank you. He's even given me 30% of who he is. I thank you for that. And I bless it. And so he's going to bless you, blesses you. And the third thing he does is he, there's the breaking of the bread. So, well, I, instead of him breaking you, be broken, okay? <laughs> Psalm 51, remember Psalm 51? I think it's verse 8. The Lord, a broken and contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. So we come broken to, to the table as broken bread. And in a sense, there's a humility of coming. And so I trust you come. You don't come humble. That's why the Bible talks about you don't, you come, you know, you're, you're with your sins. And, oh, God, cleanse me. We come broken. And then the last thing the Lord does, so we don't come self-sufficiently. And number three, we don't come pretending. This is not a place of pretending at the Lord's table. Come on, he can see through all that. You come honestly. That's why it so fits with the Psalms. We come real and honest to the table. And then the Lord takes us. Now he's, he takes us. He blesses, and we come broken, and now, what does he do? He gives it back. He gives. It says he gives the bread to the disciples, 
and then in a, in a feeding of the 5,000, then they give it to everybody else. So when you come, take, you know, you come, he blesses, he breaks you, and he, then he gives you back. He gives you back life. He gives you resurrection life. He gives you energy. He gives you power. He gives you forgiveness. He takes it in and he gives you back. I want you to just take the two words, resurrection life. And when you come to the table this morning, you're coming for resurrection life. The life of Jesus who's alive today. And you eat and drink of him. And you say, Lord, I invite resurrection life in me now. And you take it in. And so God's purpose that ultimately, then you'll, you'll give yourself away to the world. All right, so I want you to stand with me. That's worth a whole sermon right there, isn't it? So I want to invite you. Uh, we have, there's little bread in that plate, and there's little goblets, littler than I remember them to be. And you take the bread. Now, again, you want to do these four steps. Can we leave the four things up? Thanks. And so you can remember it. He took, so you're going you're gonna to bring you the table. And he's going he's gonna to receive you. That's the great thing about the table. I say it every time. It's a table of grace. If you feel like a terrible sinner, that's what the table's for. He's the host and he invites you to come. Ask forgiveness. It wasn't cheap to make this table available. It cost the infinite price of his blood that you could come to the table. And you know what? You may have been running away as a prodigal. You can come to the table and ask for forgiveness and he'll take you. He'll bless you. And then he's going to give you resurrection life today. All right, so we're going to worship. Let's worship at the table. Let's have a meal with Jesus. Yes. Again, just want to remind you to start from the back as we come to communion. And then those of us in the front will come afterwards. And you're going to take the bread or the matzah and dip it in the cup. Okay. And you've got tables up there. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I know I am just so excited about being invited to your meal, to your table, Lord, to think Pete Scazzaro at your table, Lord. I never would have dreamed it in a million years. And Father, all of us at this table, look at us, Lord, all different countries and nations and ups and downs and where we come. But Lord, we bless you and thank you, Lord, that we can come with just our five loaves and two fishes and you receive it. And you bless it and bring it to the Father and say, thank you, Father, for this. And so, Lord, I pray, help us, God, to, 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 to eat and drink of you. And let your resurrection life flow in us. That we may be men and women who worship you, O oh God, in the midst of a world that does not. For all things were made by you and for you. Amen. Okay, let's begin. Up there in the balcony, you've got some tables, and here in the front, let's worship together. Thank you. Yeah, come.